There's a ridiculous amount of clear water. And a lot of crops. It's got everything you need. As long as you're not afraid of heights. Where does the water come from? He pumps it up from deep in the earth. Calls it Aquacola and claims it all for himself. And because he owns it, he owns all of us. I don't like him already. Welcome to the Mad Max Minute. It'll take us two weeks to skirt the wall of mountains, which leaves plenty of time to talk about Mad Max Fury Road one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 88, which begins with Toast talking about the water at the Citadel, and it ends with Capable reminding everyone that they have a warboy with them. Here to suggest that we go under the mountain instead of over it, despite what the dwarves awoke in the darkness of Khazad-dûm, it's Norman Mitchell and Cassandra Fredrickson from the Lord of the Rings Minute. Hi. Hi. It's awfully irresponsible to be suggesting things like that when we all know that the dwarves dug too deep. Gandalf's got his own priorities, man. <laughs> Who's Gandalf in this scenario? Max? Is it Furiosa because she has one way she wants to go? I it's feel Max. like Furiosa <laughs> is the Gandalf because she's leading everybody out into the salt. And then Max is like Gimli being mm. like, or we could do this. <laughs> yeah, and That's she's the true. one that instigated the whole thing. Yeah. Is there is there currently a company of nine in the scene? I think there's more. There's 14, I believe. Oh, so it's more like The Hobbit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Except with less singing. Well, there is some singing in a couple of minutes. <laughs> yeah, true. on Friday. <laughs> okay. Fury Road versus The Hobbit trilogy. What's the better movie? Uh, Fury uh, Road. Yes. Duh. <laughs> yes. That is the correct answer. You know your audience. With 100% more women. Um, <laughs> I say you know your audience. I'm talking about general moving-going audiences. Right? It's like literally 1,400% more women. <laughs> <laughs> the Randrill doesn't get honorary woman status. Mm, he is a sassy, sassy bitch. I love him so much. <laughs> Uh, he'd fit right in among the wives in the white the white satin. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah. He's like the perfect combination of the wives' femininity and Immortan Joe's style sensibilities with like the flowing white hair. Yeah. <laughs> and the emblazoned garbs. <laughs> uh, the tendency to ride out into battle on a mount that is entirely... Too large and yeah. impractical. <laughs> Doesn't he ride like a giant deer or an it's elk like an or elk, something? I think, yeah. yeah. It's, it's like an elk with entirely too many antlers, and he beheads like ten orcs at the same time. <laughs> Catches them all up and... It's like a horse, but like a giga horse. <laughs> like a giga horse? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if we really want to draw a one-to-one -one with it, but... That's an entirely different subject for something that we should probably be holding on to Friday because today we're still with the Vuvalini, we're still with the wives, and as we start Minute 88, Toast is talking about water. She says that there is a ridiculous amount of clear water at the Citadel and lots of crops. Mm -hmm. And the Dag pipes up and says, it's got everything you need, as long as you're not afraid of heights, and suddenly this really feels like a pitch for a timeshare. <laughs> <laughs> It really yeah. does. I think Toast and the Dag 
which we've already decided, I think last week, that they would make a great morning radio team. My gosh, anyone and the DAG. And the DAG, this is true. The DAG. Would make a great team to sell timeshares. Because, you know what? Toast has this cockiness about her, Mm -hmm. especially in this minute. She's got it most of the time, but it really shines in this minute. That she knows what she's talking about. She's not afraid to speak up. She's not afraid to take control of the conversation. She's not afraid to be sassy to people who might otherwise intimidate someone of her age. Mm -hmm. So I'm equally annoyed and impressed by her. (laughs) Are all of the wives pregnant or was it just Splendid and Dag? It's just Angharid and Dag. That we know of. That we know of. This is true. Yeah. It's never brought up. Like we know... From capable and toast theoretically could be pregnant. Yeah. Like we know from outside lore discussion on the movie that Cheeto hasn't yet been touched by Joe, I think is the nice way to put it. Mm. So yeah, all of the others could be carrying in a sense of the word, (laughs) but it's Mm. never completely spelled out for us. How old are they supposed to be? Is there like a set age for all of them or? Not that I know of. Rick, you've read the extended materials. Any ideas about age? It doesn't specifically say. So I've just been going by the ages of the actresses, Mm -hmm. which range from, I want to say 1985 to, wasn't the actress that plays Cheeto like a lot younger than that? I can't remember off the top of my head. She looks younger. 85 is old. To be playing these particular characters. Well. Because 85 is like 34 years old. In 2019. Well, yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, okay. So minus four years. You can't tell me that they can't find attractive actresses who are like 19 to 22. Well, that's probably why they're doing like a Saved by the Bell situation. Or I guess a more current reference would be like a Riverdale situation. Yeah. Where you're taking all of these actors and they're mid to late 20s and they're playing a lot younger. Mm-hmm. I have a hard time believing that they would do that to women because you know that in Hollywood, the younger the woman, the better. Well, I I mean, that happens a lot with like high school shows in general. Like they will yes, cast... These are act- not high schoolers. These are right. not... Cheeto was the only one who could be considered like high school age. The character. Are they supposed to be like early to mid 20s? Yeah, I'd, I, I would imagine... The way the movie is framed and the way that I kind of think about it is that Splendid is the oldest, clearly. At least that's how I feel about it. And I don't imagine she's any older than like 25. Mm. Yeah. When it comes to actual ages, Rosie Huntington Whiteley, who played the Splendid Ang Herod, is the oldest, being born in April 87. And Cheeto is the youngest, being born in January 96. Oh my God, she's a baby. (laughs) (laughs) So this 96 to... She was 18. Or no, she was... How old was she? Well, this came out in, what, 2015? Yeah. Yeah, yeah so she was 18 when they filmed the movie? That's, yeah. yeah, that sounds right. 19. Hold on, I'm trying to... <laughs> trying to math. 87... Nine. Hold on. I'm just gonna... <laughs> I'm gonna calculator this, because I'm completely, like, brain yeah. dead at this point. Yeah, 96 to 2006 so, Rose, would be Ro- 10. Uh, Rosie Huntington Wiley would have been 27. Yeah. So we're looking at 18 to 27 is the range of Joe's wives 
Okay. Based and, on the ages of the real actresses. Right. And you might imagine that the characters are supposed to be a little bit a younger than the women younger playing than, them. Yeah. Yeah. Ew, that makes her like 15. Ew. Oh, no. <laughs> Which is why she hasn't been touched. Yeah. Oh, God. She's too young. There's a possibility that amidst all of Joe's atrocities and how ruthless he is when it comes to murder and exploitation, that he will take a wife when she's younger but he won't actually attempt to breed with her until she reaches 18. I, he gets no brownie points. <laughs> yeah. None. That might be a silver lining, but it's not a silver lining that redeems the rest of the storm cloud. Right, right. And honestly, when you think of like the in-world representation of Immortan Joe, he doesn't strike me as the kind of guy that would respect an age restriction. Yeah. No, 18 doesn't mean anything to them anymore. Yeah. He's super... Like, his whole setup is, like, super hierarchical and super strict on the rules. Maybe mm. he's just a guy that isn't willing to break, rule like, the laws that he followed tightly before. I would ver- true. I would very much like to believe that. <laughs> like, there are certain things that he just won't do because they were always laws across his life. He was a military man. Mm-hmm. Clearly. Very big on rules and structure. I could see him carrying over the idea of age appropriateness, but not consent appropriateness, because that's not emphasized in the military. Mm. There are some things that military life maybe made more um, sacrosanct in his brain. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So getting back to the subject of water, the Keeper of the Seeds, played by Melissa Jaffer, as we mentioned a couple minutes back, She asks where the water comes from, and Toast continues talking about how he pumps it up deep in the earth, it calls it Aquacola, and claims it all for himself, and because he has all of the water, he owns all of them. Mm -hmm. And it's very much a Jafar from Aladdin situation. The golden rule is he who has the gold makes the rules. Mm -hmm. And there's definitely a precedent for this sort of behavior. It's how humans have behaved for as long as we've been human, I think. Especially, well, it might be more fair to say as long as we've been capitalists. Yeah, I was going to be like, ah. (laughs) Resource control has always been like a big problem in history before like modern capitalism too. I agree. I think there are older forms of capitalism that that still applies to. People controlling oases and desert cultures. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I do appreciate that... He takes this resource that in our world, like water belongs to everybody sort of thing. Mm. Although you still have to pay for water. Water belongs to Nestle. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) But because he brands it, he calls it Aquacola. It makes it a product and it's easier to own Mm. it. Now that strikes me as a tie over from the previous civilization before the fall. He knows that just anybody can go out and take water but if he slaps a brand on it that means that it is his exclusively like you can't go you guys are up in maine so you're familiar with poland springs you can't Mm -hmm. just go to where they bottle poland springs and stick a cup in the water and just drink it because then you're taking their poland springs water and they've paid for rights to it and they've commoditized it that's not a word away from everybody else in the general public like Mm -hmm. there are rules against capturing rainwater Which is so dumb. Yeah. Like, I can understand you don't want everybody, like, setting up these huge water-catching situations so they can sell it elsewhere because you want water to get into the ground and things like that. But 
if you just want to set up a bucket to catch water so you can take that water and use it in your gardens, like, mm-hmm. then it's getting into the ground anyway. Mm-hmm. You need to stop being such sticklers about it. But that's a subject that I haven't studied up on. <laughs> I just know it's funny and ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> it is ridiculous. If every house everywhere had... Like fifty-five gallon barrels out to collect rainwater, it wouldn't matter for the ground for the water table. <laughs> Especially not in an area that's like not experiencing a drought. My mom lives in San Diego and I think she had to either buy or rent one from the city, like that was specially like designed to collect rainwater so she could use it on her lawn or something. <laughs> it's really weird. Just leave a bucket in the backyard. Well, Standing water also invites mosquitoes. Yeah. Mm. That's a problem, but like in general, just it's falling from the sky. Yeah. <laughs> just yeah. let people collect it. <laughs> if there's one huge advantage to living in an apocalypse, there's a chance if there's no water, there's also no mosquitoes. <laughs> if there's no water, we're going to die. <laughs> but I will counter that statement by saying if we're in a post apocalypse, the mosquitoes could also be mutated into gigantic blood bug type mm. situations oh like the that made for tv monster movie yeah literally called mosquitoes oh my god <laughs> where they're like three feet three foot tall jeez that is nightmare that. scenario number one it was on usa all the time when i was a kid like i don't the want summers. i don't want hobbit sized mosquitoes i'm sorry yeah and like ticks the size of people's heads nope. that was like another one nope don't like that yeah that is not okay <laughs> i mean it would make them easier to see and you could hopefully swat them earlier. <laughs> Granted, you'd probably have to use like a baseball bat instead of a fly swatter. But, you know, that's life in the wasteland. Now, following the dag describing how because Joe owns all the water, he owns all of them. The keeper of the seeds pipes up and she says, I don't like him already. And to that, I just want to say that Melissa Jaffer is a treasure. I concur. I appreciate that she, the keeper of the seeds takes basic knowledge that she learned in like 20 seconds and pretty much knows everything she needs to know about Joe. She is. She's wonderful. I love that she immediately just dismisses Joe. I don't like him already. I like the way she says that line. It's just so just like a sheer statement of fact. Like this is how everyone should feel like it's it's not there's no it's full. It's fully confident. It's just whatever. I like how subtly humorous it is because it feels very human. Like, yeah. I don't know. It's just girls talking about this terrible dude. And it's just like, oh, he's a garbage man. Like, he's a garbage can. I don't, I don't hate, I hate him. <laughs> I'm sure she can't wait to snap him. Mm-hmm. What'd she say? Right in the medulla? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Killed everyone I ever met out here. Snap. Headshots. <laughs> I guess this is kind of from the previous minute. Because uh, mm-hmm. we, don't, we don't see the map in this minute that he drew. Right. But what I think is really interesting is how the map is also connected to Max as a willing use of his blood in the movie Mm. compared to when people are trying to use him for his blood. Him using his blood to help others is like a metaphor for the way he goes about his life in general. And because he's the universal donor, he's always willing to give people more than he gets. Mm. And I think it ties into that whole thread of the movie. I agree. There's definitely a theme of the movie of consent versus Mm non-consent and earlier when he was a blood bag he was in a similar situation as the wives something was being taken from him without consent and it's something that under the right circumstances he would have freely given and under the right circumstances the wives would have freely given Mm -hmm. 
but it was not the right circumstances. And now he has the opportunity to do something with his blood of his own choosing to help other people. Right. And I think that that even ties to the moment where he comes back after killing the bullet farmer when Furiosa says that's not his blood. He didn't even give his blood to the bullet farmer when he killed him. He gave no blood in that situation. Ha That's good. I like that. Yeah. So I think that that ties across like other moments in the movie too. I think it's really interesting the way they use the universal donor thing across the film. Yeah, they really did. It's pretty cool. More than just a callback at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> the Valkyrie, hearing this idea of going back to the Citadel, calls attention to the fact that it would take them two weeks to skirt the Wall of Mountains. And what I did when I heard this is the first thing I thought was, well, yeah, it'll take them two weeks to skirt the mountain, but going through the Gap of Rohan would take them too close to Isengard. <laughs> And when I thought of that, I remembered that there was a map that was shown when Brendan McCarthy, George Miller, and Nico Lathuris went to the Sydney Opera House and were interviewed by the people that run that place. They showed a map up on the big screen that showed, okay, here's the Citadel. They go through Buzzard Territory, through the canyon in the mountains, past the green place into the dunes. And I'm like, the placement of those mountains stands out to me as familiar And so I found a map of Middle-earth and I laid the map of the world of Fury Road on top of the map of Middle-earth. And wouldn't you know that the artist depiction very closely lines up with the map of Middle-earth where the Citadel is pretty much around where the Shire is. The canyon and mountains is, I I think, are those the Misty Mountains, the ones that go down the middle? Yes. Yes. So the Rock Riders Canyon would be pretty much Moria. The Green Place or the Bog would be the southern tip of Mirkwood. And then the Vuvulini would therefore be just north of Mordor. And I don't think it was intentional, but it is a happy accident. Yeah, because if you tilt the map just a little bit more, you can see that it's almost the exact same distance from the Citadel uh, to where the Vuvulini were as from the Shire to Mount Doom. Mm Mm-hmm. Which is kind of crazy. And they did this in a single, in, in one 24-hour period. Actually, I think we're on day three. Yeah. Is it day three? Yeah. Furio- oh, it's, it's Furiosa says it's a long night's drive, but that's after the canyon? Yes. Because it's about a day to the canyon. Yeah. Our first night is when we go through the green place. Our second night is hanging out with the Vuvalini. Yeah. But then they turn right back around. Yeah. So when Max says on Wednesday, listen, it'll be a hard day. They're saying, okay, it's still morning. They haven't quite gone through the bulk of the day just yet. Mm. So I posted the map that I made onto one of the Facebook pages that I'm a part of, the Mad Max, the Halls of Justice group on Facebook, which is moderated by former guest of the show, Shem Herman. And he posted a counter map as to what he believes is the layout for Fury Road, because it's not very well laid out. Mm-hmm. So what he thinks is that the mountain range that they pass through is the Great Dividing Range in the northeastern part of Australia, and they are on the northeastern coast of Australia when they're about to go into the 160 Days of Salt. And that they're not so much starting from the center of the continent, like Alice Springs or anything like that. Mm-hmm. that Quick question. That they're closer to the edge. This map that you overlaid over Middle Earth, this came from George Miller. And 
people associated with George Miller, right? Yeah. Okay, so this is official. You don't get to mess with this. I guess. I think um, because you're saying like it's not laid out well as far as the geography of Australia is concerned. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Right. It's vague as to where exactly this is. Like the mountain range that goes through Queensland. I actually have Google Maps open so I can actually use real names now. Mm -hmm. So the idea would be that the Citadel would be somewhere between Winton and Hugenden. And then you'd go through the mountains. The green place would be somewhere between Townsville and Morinbah. And then the Vuvulini would be hanging out somewhere around, I don't know, like Bowen or Arley Beach before going off into the Great Salt, which I believe is the Coral Sea that is now completely dried up. So I guess if they went for 160 days across that salt, they would eventually reach the Solomon Islands. Maybe Max just knows that if they try to go 160 days that way, they're just going to find salt water. Yeah. Maybe he just kind of figured out where they were based on looking at other stuff, looking at the stars or something. He's been around traveling the wasteland for a long time. Yeah. Plus, as we saw, he's been making these little maps. So he might have the most comprehensive map of the continent as it currently exists. It could be that. We don't know for sure. I'm not saying that Max has become an amateur cartographer in his spare time, but <laughs> in the wasteland, you could argue that you do have a lot of spare time. Right. And when you're when you're not eating two headed lizards alive. Exactly. I think he has exactly done that, become an amateur cartographer in his spare time. He made a map that makes him an amateur cartographer. Yeah. That's fair. I mean I mean I guess they paid him with a motorcycle full of food and water. <laughs> that makes him a professional. Oh yeah, that's Ooh. true. They're donating to his Patreon. <laughs> I think you have to become a lot of an amateur of like, I don't know, kind of like a jack of all trades kind of thing in a survival scenario. Mm. You either figure out oh, how to sure. do it or you go without. Yeah. With the Valkyrie saying it'll take a long time to skirt the mountains, Max is like, no, I say we turn around and go back the way we came through the canyon. And Toast is like, well, we got attacked by his full war party, so we know it's open. Mm -hmm. You know, he brought his whole war party through. And so Max is like, yeah. So while they're on this side of the mountains, we go back through the canyon, block it off, decouple the tanker at the pass, close it off behind us. And then the Keeper of the Seeds, with another great commentary moment, says, kaboom. And if I didn't make myself clearer earlier, Melissa Jaffer is a freaking treasure. <laughs> she is great <laughs> in this minute. Also notice that the dag does the hand motion, mm -hmm. the kaboom hand motion Pretty much at the same time that the Keeper of the Seeds says kaboom. There's a lot of focus on hands from this point of the movie forward with the Vuvulini. Like, I noticed stuff watching it before recording this that I hadn't noticed before with people's hands. Because mm -hmm. I'm like, I watch movies differently since starting to do Movies by Minute podcasts. Imagine Funny that. how that happens. Uh, so I never noticed how much people's hands move in this part of the movie. So I think it's interesting, like, that... The dag is just mimicking the motion that Max makes. So we decouple the tanker. It's just <laughs> and I love the point and head nod that Max gives to the Keeper of the Seeds. Mm -hmm. It might be the closest we've come this movie to actually seeing delight on Max's face. It actually might be the most delighted we've ever seen him before, ever, yeah. ever. Because people are picking up what he's putting down. Yeah. He's looking at the Keeper of the Seeds. He's like, 
I like her. Yeah, this one. I like this one. (laughs) I like this one. (laughs) This is the most dialogue he has in the movie, right? Is this scene? Yeah, it's like the most. Yeah, it's a very talkative few minutes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, he's got to convince these people because he has like what, like less than five minutes of total dialogue in the whole movie. I think. I feel like it. Yeah, something like that. I'm gonna have to go back at some point, maybe before we discuss Max as a character. I'll go back and I'll do a control F find on all my notes and I can pull out every single line of dialogue and I'll see, okay, how many different words does Max use? How many different times does he talk mm-hmm. over two hours? Right. Because it does feel very low. He says barely anything across this whole movie. <laughs> he does a lot. Of, he does a lot of like waving a gun to communicate mm-hmm. and grunting and snapping pointing at things mm-hmm. the the twitchy cinematography <laughs> julia hated the snapping part so we've established now the plan is rush through the war parties get to the canyon first block it off close it down and so furiosa is like okay that's part one part two is actually taking the citadel and so she's like assuming we're still alive how are we gonna do that and toast comes up with this idea well All that's left are the war pups and the war boys that are too sick to fight. And obviously, Max and Furiosa can go hand to hand against an army of toddlers. That's disturbing. That's way too Anakin. Like even Cheeto could take on a war pup. Like if it came to blows... How many tumor-ridden toddlers can you fight? Yeah, that's even worse. It's like raiding the cancer ward at a pediatric hospital. It's even worse. Except they're the only ones with water, so you have no choice. <laughs> oh my god! It'd be like a Make-A-Wish sponsored battle royale tournament. Oh no! Well, that's how you make it even worse. <laughs> uh, you uh, you re- you you make a whole movie. You have. Um, Charlton Heston, you you make like a, an action movie starring Charlton Heston. You call it "Make a Death Wish." <laughs> Sigh. Yeah. Now, as great as the idea of fighting children sounds to me, <laughs> capable pipes up at the very tail end of this minute. In like the last two seconds, he says, "Oh, we'll be with Nux," reminding everybody that, "Oh yeah, they do have an inside agent of the enemy." Mm-hmm. with them right now he's not currently working for them but he is within the party mm-hmm. this line out of context feels naive it feels like oh next is the answer to everything that's wrong i think capable is a little naive despite her name yeah <laughs> well let's not get too much into capable bringing up nux because that is how we start off wednesday's right. minute that's why i said out of context so we'll put a pin in this And we'll bring it back up first thing next time. But before we wrap for the day, Norman and Cassandra, could you share with our listeners where they can hear more of your stuff? Well, you can find us at DuelingGenre.com or at LordOfTheRingsMinute.com. We, like Rick mentioned at the beginning of the minute, co-host Lord of the Rings Minute, which is like this, but with the Lord of the Rings Extended Trilogy. Uh, Twice as long. Yes. (laughs) Less women. Um, (laughs) Three, in fact, in 12 hours of film. Right. (laughs) So we will be on um, Return of the King by the time this is uh, released into the wild. Yeah, we should be uh, a little ways in by the time any of your listeners hear this. Yeah, a couple of weeks, I think. 
And then so sometime in 2021, you'll be rapping because yeah. <laughs> it'll it's, take you that long. It's four hours and one minute. <gasps> How is that even? Not including credits. <laughs> I That just blows my mind. <laughs> Do you not remember how long Return of the King is? No, I'm, I don't watch Lord of the Rings. Well, doesn't the narrative technically end about two and a half hours in and then the, the last 90 minutes is just wrap up? Oh, endings? Yeah. Um, it's more like the last 30 minutes is wrap up. Oh, okay. Uh, no, I think the last like 45 minutes. I don't have my spreadsheet in front of me, so I can't verify this, but you know, yeah, there's a lot of minutes. There's a fade to white. A fade to black, yep. a fade to black, a fade, a fade to, to black. black. <laughs> <laughs> Credits. A map transition. A map transition. Yep. <laughs> yep. One year to the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of wrap up, but. There's a lot to look forward to. Yes, it's I'm true. excited. Is what you mean, yeah. The third one's my favorite, so. Uh, me being unable to talk about the moment in the movie that always makes me cry when we finally get there. Mm-hmm. Should I have a guest host on? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> All I know is that. While I'm sure it's ridiculously far away, I cannot wait to talk about the mouth of Sauron. <laughs> oh my god, I'm so ex- like watching it again for the first time. I was like, oh man, I'm so excited. <laughs> so great, uh, it is. It's uh, the mouth of Sauron is wonderful. Oh. but there will be plenty of time to talk about that. Oh, way the heck down the road. And like As over f- a year's time. Yeah. <laughs> As for us, we will be coming back on Wednesday. When Nux and the Vuvulini get on board with the plan, Max will appeal to Furiosa's hope for redemption, and the group will decide to make a run of it. The Mad Max Minute Podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy, is presented by Kennedy Miller Mitchell Productions, and distributed by Warner Brothers. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Irae by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. Our home on the internet is madmaxminute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at madmaxminute, like us on Facebook by searching for Mad Max Minute, and join our Facebook listener group, Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit madmaxminute.com, where you can see what's in our Tee Public store, join our Patreon, or even donate to the show to help us keep the tanks full. Thank you for joining us for Minute 88 of Fury Road. We'll see you next time. <laughs>